0: The Apartment Store. A story for Christmas. Written and read by Tobias Sturt. Chapter 3. Introductions. Lydia and Dor sat and stared at the little man standing in the middle of their apartment in silence, taking in the expensive suit, an expensive haircut, thinking about the big steamer trunk and the huge model of the department store in his living room. You're Mr. Krampus, said Lydia, finally. Call me Artie, said the man. Of Krampus Department Store? Not any more. They have decided that now they own my dream, they don't need me. So here I am, washed up in your attic like an exotic piece of jetsam. Wow, said Lydia. Well, said her father, I'm sorry to hear that and I'm sorry I've made you sorry. No, I mean, I'm sorry that you've lost such a huge thing, that you've worked for so hard. That's tough. Nuts to it, said Artie, suddenly. That's right, nuts. It's my own fault, and I should consider it a fair price for a good lesson taught hard. You can't eat your cake and have it, you know. If you want to keep your dream, don't share it. And if you want to share your dream... Don't be surprised that people might want it for themselves. Is like you say, Dor. We find ourselves where we find ourselves, and we have to make the best of it. Do I say that? said Dor. Doesn't sound like me. Artie barked a sharp laugh. See? This is what I mean. I show up in your attic, all despondent and tearing my raiment, and you two give me breakfast and listen to my sob story and help me put the whole thing into proper perspective. This is good. This is what I have been missing. I've been stuck up in my seventh-floor apartment with too much thick carpeting between me and my business. I forgot my own dream, and I deserved to lose it. Deserved to. Maybe this... This building, my new neighbours, maybe this is exactly what I need right now. Well, said Lydia's father, what I need right now is to go to work. But I tell you what, Lydia here has nothing better to do and I can think of no one better place to introduce you to your new home. Lydia knows everyone and everyone knows Lydia. What do you say, Lydia? Get some clothes on and show Artie the sights. An excellent idea, will you, Lydia? asked Artie. "'Of course,' said Lydia, who was very pleased at the idea of shepherding around someone so famous and, more importantly, introducing him to all of her friends. "'I'd love to.' "'The first thing to know,' said Lydia, leading Artie down the first flight of stairs from their landing, "'well, the first thing is that the carpet is loose on this turn here, so you have to watch your step, but the second thing to know is that you are right above Ivy, who is in that apartment there.' Ivy is a student and stays out late and stays in late, so she probably won't be awake yet, and you need to be quiet in the mornings, as she says she needs her beauty sleep, although I'm sure she doesn't. She's very pretty, Lydia added conspiratorially, as she tapped gently on Ivy's door. Ivy, she called softly. What? came a muffled reply from somewhere deep in the apartment. It's Lydia. Lyd? We've got a new neighbour. I've got him here with me. New neighbour. Nice. He's called Artie. T. You'll have to meet him later when you're awake. Leia. Night. Night, replied Lydia, and beckoned Artie away from the door. She's still asleep, really. You can talk to her all you like when she's asleep, and she won't remember any of what she says, even though most of it is pretty sensible, more sensible than what she says when she's awake, really. This, on the other hand, Is George Joseph's door, who will most definitely be awake because he gets up every morning at six to go for a run. Rain or shine, he says, and I believe him, although I've never checked because I'm not awake myself then. Lydia knocked at George Joseph's door. There was a moment of silence. What's the time? she asked Artie. 9.47. Pretty early for a Sunday morning. Not early for George Joseph. He'll have finished his push-ups by now. There was a sudden quick step on the other side of the door, and it opened. From all of Lydia's talk of running and push-ups, you might have been expecting a large, muscly man, but George Joseph was thin and wiry, with thin, wiry hair and a thin, wiry manner, like he was working off an electrocution. "'Ah, Lydia, good morning,' he blinked and nodded at her. "'George Joseph,' said Lydia, "'good morning, this is our new neighbour, Artie.' "'George Joseph, sweet,' said George Joseph.' shooting out a bony hand. Accountant. Artie took the hand and shook it. Otto Krampus, he said. But my friends call me Artie, so now Lydia's given you that name, we better be friends. George Joseph didn't seem quite to know what to do with this piece of information, and blinked rapidly at Artie two or three times. Krampus? he said. Like the store? Not any more, said Artie, cheerfully. Say, is that coffee I can smell? Well, um yes, said George Joseph. I was just making myself a cup. Artie stood for a moment, head cocked to one side, nostrils flared. Ethiopian, he said at last. A French roast. George Joseph goggled at him. It is. That's precisely it, he said. It's my only vice, you see, really, coffee. But I feel you want to do something right. Boy, do you? said Artie appreciatively. That smells almost perfectly done to me. Yes, "'I ought to—' George Joseph began to back away down the hall. "'Can I try a taste?' asked Artie, eagerly following him into the apartment. "'Not a whole cup, just a taste.' "'Well, I suppose—' "'Um,' said George Joseph, edging into his clean and sparkling kitchen. In contrast to the empty kitchen beyond, the hallway they were standing in was full of sporting equipment. On the wall was a rack of all kinds of rackets and sticks and bats, all neatly pinned up, while beneath each one was an appropriate pair of shoes, spiked, studded, soft-soled and stout. George Joseph re-emerged from the kitchen, carrying a small white espresso cup. You play a lot of sports, said Artie, taking the cup. It's good for you, said George Joseph, for the mind too, not just the body. Your body is a temple, and you—' Artie took a sip of coffee. You honour it with what is surely a holy drink. He took another slurpy sip, swilling the coffee around his mouth. "'George Joseph,' he said, "'I have had many wonderful cups of coffee, "'in a small piazza behind the Duomo in Florence, "'on a plantation in Colombia, in the souk in Tangiers, but this—' "'This cup of coffee joins them. "'This is a superlative cup, George Joseph, "'and I daren't drink any more of it. "'This is yours, and you deserve to drink "'in contemplation and solitude.' "'Well, I—' "'George Joseph foundered for a moment. "'Thank you.' "'Arty stood, beaming at him. "'Thank you,' said George Joseph again, "'blinked, then nodded. "'Arty nodded in return.' and backed gently out of the apartment, closing the door on George Joseph and his tiny cup of coffee. "'I was hoping,' he whispered to Lydia, "'that he was going to offer me a cup of my own. Still, just the taste of that is more than enough.' "'Was it really nice?' asked Lydia. "'All coffee tastes the same to me, all bitter and brown.' "'Coffee is an art you have to learn to love.' said Artie. I can't deny that, but coffee like that makes it easier to learn. It was better than nice. That was a loving word on a dull morning, a gentle promise to a worried heart, a warm reassurance to a tired mind. That was a great cup of coffee. Your friends, Lydia, show promise, and are a credit to you. I begin to suspect I picked entirely the right building to roost in. What's next? Well, next is the next floor down, said Lydia, leading the way. There are two more apartments here. The apartments are bigger on this floor, and they even have balconies, although so the Missy Pleasant's have had theirs all glazed in like a greenhouse, you know, so they can use it in all weathers. We'll meet them first. They'll definitely be up, but they might not be in, if you see what I mean. It's what they say. We're not in to callers when they don't want to see people. And I don't think they often want to see people. I don't think they like strangers very much but I'm not a stranger any more, am I? said Artie. I'm friends with a lot of people in this building. They know me. How can I be a stranger? I wonder who's a stranger, said Lydia. You or the Mrs. Plaisants? She rang their bell and waited. There was a sound of light footsteps and the chirruping, chiming voices of the Mrs. Plaisants. There was a shuffling by the door as they took turns looking through the peephole, and then one of them said, We're not at home to call us, Lydia, dear. That's all right, said Lydia, through the door. I just wanted to introduce you to our new neighbour and friend, Artie. Oh, a neighbour, said one sister, and is it rude to refuse an introduction, said the other. I feel it is, said the first, and we ought to meet our neighbours, said the second. There was a rattling of bolts and chains, and the door opened just enough to show the two sisters standing in the hall, peering out nervously, as if something large was about to leap out of the shadows and devour them. They were dressed in long, narrow, matching coral-pink dresses, with a pattern of flowers embroidered up the skirts in silk thread that glistened as it caught the light. Both were wearing identical bright blue necklaces and earrings, and had blue butterfly clips in their short, curled hair. They stood side by side, and although Lydia knew that Peony was exactly twenty-one months older than Pansy, and could easily tell the two of them apart, they looked so similar in their matching outfits and makeup that you might have assumed they were twins until you looked more closely. They stood quite still, just staring at Lydia and Artie. "'You were going to introduce us, Lydia, my dear,' said Peony, who was usually the one to take charge. Yes, sorry, Peony Plaisance, Pansy Plaisance, allow me to introduce our new neighbour, Artie, who has moved into the attic apartment next to Dad and me. Father and I, said Peony, instinctively correcting Lydia's grammar. Delighted to meet you, Mr... Pansy stumbled over the name and correct form. Artie? Grampus Otto Grampus. Although friends like Lydia do call me Artie, it's true. Artie took Pansy's proffered hand, and instead of shaking it, bent and kissed it, delicately. Enchante, mademoiselle. And she did the same to Peony, even though it looked as if she was about to snatch her hand back. At your service, please, should you need anything, don't hesitate to ask. I do want to try to fit in here with all of Lydia's friends. We're not completely useless old women, you know, said Peony sharply. We don't need people running around for us all over the place. Did you say Krampus, said Pansy, like the store? So like the store as to be one and the same, said Artie, until midnight last night, that is, when I was unceremoniously thrown out. We do all our shopping at Krampus, don't we, Peony, said Pansy. We always have. You were fired, were you, said Peony. Were you up to shenanigans? Of course you do. You are ladies of taste, after all, as I can plainly see, Krampus gestured at the hallway around them. It was painted in the same pale green as their living room with plaster details picked out in white. Halfway down the corridor was a delicate little half-moon table with a marble top and a vase of flowers on it, bright yellow against the green. All down the walls hung small pictures in ornate frames, apart from where, on one wall, a hat-rack stood, festooned about with cosh hats and fox furs. Peony and I decorated it all ourselves, said Pansy. There were no shenanigans, I assure you, madam, said Artie. In fact, I think they would have been happier if there had been. "'Lydia runs errands for us sometimes, though, doesn't she?' said Pansy. "'That's running around for us.' "'We're not talking about that any more, Pansy,' said Peony. "'And if your whole apartment is as beautiful as this hallway,' said Artie, "'why, even this reproduction Robert-Adam table is a splendid—' "'Hang on. "'This isn't a reproduction, is it? "'This is a genuine Robert-Adam table.' "'It ought to be,' said Peony. "'I chose the flowers.' said Pansy, and they complement the colour splendidly, said Artie, as does this. Good grief! Is this picture what I think it is? That rather depends on what you think, doesn't it? said Peony, with a twinkle in her eye. Well, the colour alone, never mind the brushwork, Artie seemed genuinely at a loss. Lydia craned to see it. it was a picture she had walked past and generally ignored for years, just some fruit, some apples and pears sitting on a table, didn't seem that remarkable to her. The colours were nice, she supposed. "'That's a Suzanne, isn't it?' said Artie, with awe in his voice. "'It's just a sketch, really,' said Peony. "'And that! All my stars!' Artie was looking at a picture of countryside, in beautiful bright reds and oranges and purples. Not at all what it can have looked like, Lydia thought, unless it was some country she'd never seen photographs of, but it was a lovely picture. "'That's a Matisse!' Artie was standing stock-still, holding his breath. He was a funny man, said Pansy, suddenly laughing. He wouldn't even get out of bed. Ladies, I... You met Matisse? Artie, for once, seemed lost for words. We have been introduced to a great many people, said Peony, some of them even more exciting than disgraced department store owners. He was playing with little bits of paper like a little child, said Pansy, still laughing. But he let me cut some out, which was kind of him. In my store, in the store... Artie collected himself. We had a department of fine art. Like like you ladies, we have some very refined and exclusive customers. Masterpieces from all over the world, from all of history. A Roman statuette, an African mask, a Japanese scroll painting, a Russian icon, a modern Mexican mural. Beautiful, astonishing things. And to show them, I was in Venice, not looking that time for art at all looking, in fact, for a chef to make Venetian sandwiches in our tea rooms. They make beautiful little sandwiches in Venice. Lydia Tramezzini, they're called, little hummocked things. We'll have to take you to tea in Venice one day. I was in Venice, as I say, and I discovered this palazzo that was quite falling into the Grand Canal, abandoned, decaying. And in it, a room in almost exactly this green, faded there, of course, patched with mould and damp, but almost exactly this and you know what i did i bought the palazzo the whole thing had it all repaired it became the hotel in the end but that room i had stripped down and bought here brought to my store cleaned up put back together and installed and that is where we show our art some of the greatest most startling most expensive works of human art Brought together in a room from a genuine 17th century Venetian palazzo, and yet, and yet, this hallway, ladies, this hallway, just this hallway, not only is this tasteful and refined, it is full of wonder and joy and beauty. Ladies, I have never encountered anything like it in my life. Had I still my store, I'd be imploring you to come and sort it out yourselves. Had I still my store. Artie shook his head wearily. He can talk, can't he? said Pansy. He certainly can, said Peony. He does it well, though, said Pansy. He says nice things. He certainly does, said Peony. Of course, women our age have had plenty of nice things said to us, not always with nice intentions, but we shouldn't hold Lydia and her friend up. Lydia recognised her cue. Yes, we've got plenty of other people to introduce you to, said Lydia. John and Ferruza will be having their elevenses, said Peony. That'll be nice, said Pansy. Ladies, said Artie, backing out after Lydia. I'm not sure Nice will ever cut it for me again. I thank you for this wondrous, beautiful experience, with such wondrous, beautiful ladies. Very nice things, said Pansy. Yes, aren't they? Said Peony, closing the door. Goodbye. Thank you for calling. Hooey! Artie slumped back against the wall of the corridor and whistled a long, low whistle at the ceiling. Was that really so amazing? Lydia had wondered if he'd been flattering the missus plaisance Amazing. Stunning. Miraculous. Talk about a pearl in an oyster to be in this run-down old apartment house, three flights up a rickety stair in this run-down old city, and to find yourself in a beautiful little home, decorated by great works of twentieth-century art. And I don't just mean those pictures. That little lady cut out collages with Matisse. Matisse! Artie took Lydia by the shoulders. Lydia? I want you to promise me that these John and Ferruza people are just nice because I'm not sure how much more I can take first the greatest cup of coffee I ever had then the finest art in the world John and Ferruza, said Lydia are the best people in the whole world uh oh said Artie this does not bode well The Apartment Store was written and read by me, Tobias Sturt. The music is Tchaikovsky, The Christmas Tree from The Nutcracker, sourced from muzzopen.com. You can find more at Apple Podcasts, where you can also rate and review us if you'd like. We're also on Stitcher and Soundcloud, and, of course, at our website, ruritania.co.uk slash stories. And thank you for listening.